足お二人でせーのでいよう Welcome to the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down one movie and episode from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel He. Konnichiwa! Namae wa Dean des. Namae wa nan desu ka? And today we'll be breaking down the. Yeah! Wakaima sen! And today we'll be breaking down. Get it down- right, Hendo. Oh, We're doing this again, aren't we? <laughs> Keep cutting me off. And today we'll be breaking down the 2017 anime powerhouse, Your Name. Kimi no Nama wa. That's right. Are you going to talk Japanese the whole way? That's it. Okay, you're good. <laughs> I'm good. All right, Dean. I got it out of my system. <laughs> you're, good? you're good? All right, Dean, how you been this last week? It's a week. It's been a week. It's been a week, yes. <coughs> Still sick, though. Still sick, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. What about you?、Uh, yeah, I've had a good week, actually.、Uh, my youngest daughter turned four this week. So it's kind of mind boggling how time flies like that. Yeah. yeah. We had a nice birthday party for her that night, went out for dinner. She also had a, a nice birthday party with her friends as well, an extra one, at this inflatable world, all these big bouncy castles and、nice. all, all that sort of stuff. And it was good. And that- it was good. It's actually going to be a good week coming up, too, since I've got a, a full week off work. So expect lots of movies on the next podcast, I'll tell you that. Well, you've watched, what, 10, 11 this last week? Well, if you exclude your name, it's actually seven other films. Oh, sorry, my apologies, eight, but there's one film I'm not going to be talking about. So I did watch eight other films this week. So overall, nine films. So you're pretty close. Very good. I wonder how many, yeah. And that's with a,、uh, a full week's worth of work. Yes. How many did you watch this week? Two? I knew you said you weren't going to watch as many as me, but that's, that's pushing and, it. And I watched your name this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to be good and ready to go for this breakdown, aren't you? In fairness, I did start one and stopped watching it. All right, well, we'll see what those movies are later on. But for now. Give me the update. All right, Hendo, what's been going on with the IMDb Top 250 list? Well, since we've only had a week between podcasts now, there's actually not too much. So, the only real things I could see here was that we had City of God move up to number 20, and Star Wars A New Hope has dropped down to 21.、Hmm. That's really the only decent change there. There's a couple in the middle here and there, but they're not really. It's happening all the time, so there's no need to look at that. But we actually have an inclusion of a new film debuting. It is the 1924 Buster Keaton film Sherlock Jr., and it is in the list now, number 150. I imagine it's come into this list now because it has finally cracked the minimum amount of ratings that it needs.、Oh, I thought you were can... going to say that people、um, accidentally saw that movie instead of seeing、um, Sherlock Gnomes. If they saw Sherlock Gnomes <laughs> and gave it such a great review, I'm a little bit worried about them. <laughs> and as always, if you'd like to follow along on this journey, then please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're available on iTunes and most other podcast apps. On iOS and Android. Just search for IMDb Journey or click on the links in the show notes. And if you really like us, we would appreciate it if you would give us a good rating and review. Yeah, we're also out there on social media too. You can follow us on Twitter at IMDb Journey. I'm pretty active on there. Happy to start up a movie convo with anyone. I'd also like to give a shout out that we're part of the hashtag Pod and Family these days. It's、mm. a nice big group of、uh, other podcasts that. Get together and share each other's work around. And it, I have to say that it is an amazing community that I've seen so far. We have interacted with a lot of different podcasts and people through there. And I've actually seen our listenership expand considerably since、uh, I started using the hashtag and, and chatting with everyone on there. So much so that our last episode of Singing in the Rain has actually got more downloads and plays in one week than the entirety of our Django Unchained 
downloads and plays in the span of how long has Django been? Like a couple of months now. A couple of years, it feels yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a great little hashtag community that we've got going there and I'm really happy to be part of it. So next time you're on Twitter, why don't you go search for hashtag pod and family and go look at the community of other great podcasts out there too. Just a quick spoiler warning. As always, we will be jumping into this movie from the get-go with full-on spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, please go and watch it before listening to the podcast because we really don't want to ruin this one for you. You've been warned. Yeah, that's right. So we'll be back on the other side of this break with our breakdown of Your Name. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin. We are the Epic Film Guys, and we'd like just a moment of your time to talk about an extremely important event coming up this May. Last year, we hosted the live stream for The Cure, a 12-hour live stream fundraiser where we raised $2,500 for the Cancer Research Institute. 86 cents out of every dollar raised goes to research toward finding a cure. And this year, we're aiming to smash that goal, and we need your help to do it. Join us from May 18th through the 20th for 30 hours of amazing live stream content from us and a whole host of amazing podcasters who will be joining us to try to reach $5,000. For more information, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. So, Your Name, released in Japan in 2016, but released in America in 2017. So it's kind of an iffy area of where you would class what year you would classify this in. I think I s- pretty much everyone classifies it as 2016. Really? Almost everyone. Do you? I don't know, I'm getting close. I mean, it's a Japanese movie. It made a ton of money in 2016 just cuz the Americans were so slow and by extension Australians in getting it out as well. I don't know. It, it, it is sort of a funny one for me. I've watched a few other reviews and stuff for it, and everyone talks about it as a 2016 movie, but to each their own. Uh, I'm pretty firm on 2017 for me, mostly because I don't want to be changing my top films list anymore. <laughs> it's my number one of 2017. That's it. What was your number one of 2016? Oh, Sing Street. Would your name be above Sing Street? No. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, with a worldwide gross of just over $358 million, it is the fourth highest grossing film in Japan overall, yet only $5 million of that gross was from America. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Like, I know, obviously, Americans aren't traditionally in love with anime, obviously, as much as um, Japanese and Chinese uh, film goers are, but that's like 1%. Like, that's yeah. insanely low. And it just, it just goes to show how unknown this film is still around the world yeah absolutely like i was i was actually talking to a couple of people at work two days ago and i was saying that we're about to do this podcast on this anime and i said it's the highest grossing anime of all time and they're like oh you're doing spirited away are you i said no i've got (laughs) news for you i was actually impressed they knew what spirited away was to be honest but um yeah no your name so just to put it in a bit of perspective spirited away grossed 274 million so your name at 358 it's smashed bonkers. it smashed it's unreal. it and with an 8.4 rating of nearly 88,000 reviews it currently sits at number 79 on the top 250 list mm. very high did you know the director has said that this movie his movie is inconsistent and unbalanced unbalanced i think that is i obviously think it's wrong i'd love to see his film his complete film <laughs> So, this is a quote from him, translated to English. 
I just wanted to make a film that was just plain entertaining. Even if the audience didn't understand what was going on, they'd feel entertained, even if they're confused. What a strange thing to say. Yeah, um, I don't know. I have no, no comment for that. So, Makoto Shinkai has been hailed as a master director after this film, with many saying he is the next Miyazaki. And he does not like this at all. He even told people to stop seeing the movie about four months That's after it was ridiculous. released in Why? Japan. It happened. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he, is, he has rejected how popular this movie has become, as it got bigger and bigger in Japan in particular. And, you know, like, remember when M. Night Shyamalan was touted as the next Spielberg? Doesn't always go so well. Shinkai just wants to be his own person and not forever be compared to someone else's work. I just found that was very unusual for someone, a director, who's, who's obviously spent so much time and energy pouring his heart into the, I mean, it obviously has a very personal connection for him. Pouring his heart into this movie and then it does really well and he's just rejecting this, um, this new fame that he's getting from it. Because it is a cultural phenomenon in Japan. Yeah. There are bus tours to locations that are based on in this movie. There's a huge, like, comic, manga, media stories that continue on from this movie, filling in parts that we didn't see, going past it. Like, I don't even know. I don't know if I want to see those. It's massive. And just quickly as well, J.J. Abrams is developing a remake of no. this film. <laughs> With <No>. Paramount. <laughs> no. Why in the hell they would ever want to do this is beyond me, but... Yeah, apparently that's a thing that could be happening. Uh, How you could improve that? Like, there's just no way. I swear to God. <laughs> there's that no goes way. It just came out. Oh, man. Like, why don't you give it proper marketing in America? So, it's my turn to do a plot summary. However, this film Oh, is... here we go. What reason are you going to give to get out of it? I'm not getting out of it. I'm going very deep in a plot summary here throughout this breakdown. Okay, I've got a lot to say that I don't feel is necessary to say right now. Everyone everyone who's listening to this should have seen the film by now, like you said. You can say that about every single movie we do. No, you can't just say, oh, I'm not doing a plot summary this week because we're going into this one. We go into all of them. But we don't talk about these other movies scene by scene now. This one I'm going to be going through bit by bit. Yeah? Good. Glad we got that covered. Week. <laughs> all right, so... What do you, you think owe me I, a plot summary next week. What do you think we're gonna? What do you think I'm gonna mention first off? Well, let's break down. Obviously, it's gonna be first shot. Oh yes! Bang, bang! That first shot. That Chinese writing just—it gets me right in the feels, man. The Chinese writing. No, I'm talking about the very first shot of the clouds. Oh, and after the, comet. the first shot of the yeah. writing. Yep, yep, yep. The clouds and the comet coming down. The point of view of that comet circling down towards Earth. Yeah. Whoa, you can tell this is going to be great just from the get go, right there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fantastic shot. I wouldn't go so far as to say you can tell it's going to be a great movie because the first shot is very well drawn. But I will agree, it is very well drawn. The animation is amazing here. And the use of light, so obviously the comet has its source of light and you, you know, you're juxtapositioning that against the... The light from the... I think it's a sunset. Is there a sunset at this point? Yeah, I think so. And it's just... Yeah, the way it it smashes through the atmosphere, smashes through the clouds, and you see you see this, there's already a giant crater there. Like, the lake, yes, obviously. You yes. see there's this massive lake in the middle of nowhere. And on a second viewing, I was just like, hang on. Is this... How is there already a crater there when you got this one coming down? I'd forgotten about the past. The past, that's right, because... What was it? Two hundred odd years ago, a thousand, a thousand, thousand, uh, thousand twelve hundred years ago. Actually, twelve hundred years ago, a comet came down in this this area, 
landed right in there and over time it created this lake. Yeah. So it's happening again. Time repeating itself. This it is. movie is very centered around time, if you haven't already noticed from this film. So we get this brief flash of this flicking red thread or band with, I guess, we, we, don't, we don't have to hide it. This, this is Taki and Mitsuha on the train where he's yelling out, what's your name? And she says, Mitsuha, and hands him the band. And as soon as the, the band or thread hits the hand, boom, you, you get Mitsuha waking up as if it was a dream. Yeah, they both do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. But at this point, they're thinking that it's a dream and, and so are we at this point because we really know, obviously, at this at the start of the film, we know nothing of this. So... At this point, after a quick little boob touch, I guess, or a quick little fondle of the body, we quickly find out that this is not Mitsuha, and this is actually Taki in Mitsuha's body straight away. Is that? The very first scene is Taki waking up in Mitsuha. Yep. Really? I watched it this morning. I don't remember that. We quickly realize that it's Taki, because he starts to fondle her body, saying how lifelike it is. And I actually, I understand that you wouldn't, you, you don't remember that, or you wouldn't think that, because at, that is the only scene that it is him, because the ne- the very next cut, is actually the day, the next day after when Mitsuha uh, is in the body. Oh, okay. And I understand yep. that because so I, you get the two, the yeah. two wake ups. And it is a bit, it's a bit iffy because I do, I, I admit, it did take me a minute to realise that this scene and the scene prior, they're not straight after each other, and that, that this is in fact the day after. A new day. Yep. Yeah. So it did confuse me for a, a little period, like to even the, like the first and the second time. I was like, oh, is this is this still talking? Oh no, no, it's Mitsuha now because just the way that. They're acting because the the grandma and the sister are like, oh, you were acting weird yesterday. And she's like, yeah. what? What are you talking about? So yeah. that's where that is. Yeah. And it's interesting that you hear straight up in their voiceover, or maybe they're talking out loud, that they are talking straight away about not being able to remember their dreams. Yeah. Which is obviously a very important point throughout this movie. That's right. I just thought it was a, a good setup for what's to come. Yeah. We see as well that when Mitsu is at school, that she opens up her, her book and she sees a, a note that says, who are you? written in her notebook and I think it's a really interesting topic not only is it a message from Taki to Mitsuha but also it's a it's a theoretical question about who we actually are and where we want to be and what we want to do in life and this is really that setup for these two characters as well like you have Mitsuha who dreams of of being in the big yeah, city being in the big of city being so much more than her, her town girl which she does not value she doesn't value yeah, her life at all exactly and you see when she's doing her dances and that, she gets embarrassed by her school friends. And when she, her dad, the mayor, is, you know, embarrassing her in front of her friends, she's, she doesn't want this. She wants to do something else with her life and get out of this town. Yeah, that that was a really crazy little... Like, uh, it's is it a scene, I guess? It's so quick, though. The dad's... He's doing a public speaking thing. You've got a crowd of villagers around him, and he stops it all to pick on his daughter for not having correct posture walking past. Well, that, that's the Japanese tradition, I guess. You need to be prim and, and proper, especially if and he's the, the craziest the thing is the way the crowd reacts. You hear a villager say, um, "Oh, that yeah, that's great. It's um, good. It's so strict with the kids yeah, and the he's family." Points. He would be crucified if he, he did that in Western culture today. Uh, that's right. So while Mitsu is still at school, actually, we do hear a teacher explaining the concept of this Tasugara Doki which actually means twilight, which signifies when it's not day or night, but in fact, it's the time when the world blurs and one might encounter something supernatural. Now, this this is kind of brushed off at the start here, like it's just sort of in the background, but it actually is very important for what comes up later. And we also see Mitsuha's grandmother teaching Mitsuha and her younger sister, Yotsua. 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 She's teaching them the art of knitting yarn into this special kind of thread. And she explains a bit here, and again when they're visiting the shrine, how this is connected to what's known as this red string of fate, mm. which is this belief where an imaginary thread connects and binds two people. Because 
no matter how life unfolds, the string brings the two together. She also explains how the thread represents like the flow of time as well, which is visualized to us by this red thread. This, this red thread that is throughout this whole film that Mitsuo is shown wearing through the film and how that has the power to bind her to another, which in Mitsuo's case is Taki. Yeah, I think the the red ribbon here is so important throughout this whole movie. And you see it from the jump, virtually the very first scene on the train, right through to the end, obviously. It's still in her hair in the last scene. And as you say, it does it does represent this sort of invisible string of fate that connects one person to another. And it's all it's all about that these two individuals are forever linked, even if separated by time. Yeah. These two loved ones will be linked forever. And ultimately, this is what helps Mitsuo and Taki find each other years later. Did you notice the ribbon is not completely red, though? Yeah, isn't there a bit of orange or something in it? Especially, where, like, in the dream part Yeah, the so there's actually, in the very middle, there's a white strip. Yes. That represents the comet. Ah. Okay? Coming between them. The, then there's blue strips next to it. They represent the lake in Mitsuo's hometown. And then the next, then the next large chunk is orange going into the red towards the end. And the combination of the orange and the red represents Katawaradoki. That wasn't bad. Katawaradoki. I'll get it. Katawaradoki. No, yeah, I think you did good on the first one. Um, which is Twilight, obviously. So the combination of the red and the orange. So yeah, I think it's really important. Hmm. We also learn here as well that the old documents of all these traditions they had... Gone. Burned down 200 years ago. Stop saying 200. Well, that's where I got the 200 from before. I just remember this 200 from the movie. There was a comet 1,200 years ago. See, there's 200 in there, though. That's where I, I thought I you got it. You need to add 1,000. <laughs> You're close. So, in saying that, no one knows the meaning of these festivals and traditions they have. But they keep them. They keep them because... The rituals remain. Yeah, because the tradition they keep they carry on these traditions to honour the dead. Yeah. And I guess that's where this movie can have a pass as well, why no one can explain why these things are happening because there's no more documentation of you know these these ribbons and this and these binding threads together and that because later on in the film it's Mitsuha who realizes this has probably happened before with all these generations of my family but there's no document to back that up well it's not probably the grandma flat out says that she's had it done yeah but she with with the grandma she treats it as dreams she treat every time she notices she's like you had that yeah, dream again didn't you that's what Mitsuha was treating the taki stuff at first initially yes. as well but because this particular one is so important because of this comet that's yes. come yes yes it really takes hold, and it means something more. Whereas I imagine that 1,200 years ago, this this family was having this same sort of connection with someone. This very strong, like, it would probably be as strong as it was now. These are the, probably the two biggest, these are probably the two strongest times that this time, this family, this family has had this happen, when the comet, because the comet is part of this as Absolutely, well. and yeah. I feel like the, the body swapping, if you will, will um help them 1,200 years ago. Yes. And they've continued this ritual through generation to generation to generation, not knowing why, but originally it would have been set out so that if this was to happen again, we've got a way that we can fix it. Yeah, and because these documents got burnt down, no one remembered why they were doing it. They were, yeah. just, lucky, they were just lucky that they happened to keep doing it. Yeah, and it shows an enormous amount of faith, obviously. Yeah, these you know different cultures and, and traditions, they, they're not what we're used to. Which is also an example of like Coco, for example, with the with the Mexican culture and the Day of the Dead honoring your dead. Yeah, it's 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 the you're same. You're dead, mate. You're dead, honoring those who have passed before you. Much and better. 
it's like a, a Japanese interpretation here and a Mexican interpretation there. So it's very it's a very fascinating film to watch if you're looking at it from that perspective as well. This isn't just some anime film with about teenagers on a romance quest. There is some deep, deep stuff in this film. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of deep themes, and I think the faith versus uh, sort of political does come into it as well with the father who was on the verge of becoming um, a priest. And he is obviously struck by the tragedy of losing his wife and the yep. mother to his children, and he goes away from faith. Yeah, he and he goes. It. Yeah, he goes. He goes to the politics, and just in Japanese culture, that's virtually the opposite of of what the grandma and the family yeah. is is all about. So yeah, so I just think that's a, a relevant little tidbit to take note of there. Yeah. So yeah. in keeping with the theme of learning about traditions and stuff, we also learn that Mitsuha and her sister are shrine maidens as well, and they perform this ritual. Kuchikamisake. Yes, and part of this is that they make this kuchikamisake, which is where they chew on rice, spit it out into a container, and they let it ferment so it becomes alcohol. Ferment? Ferment. 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 It's like ferment, but ferment. (laughs) (laughs) Is the female one feminine? (laughs) Yeah, this is really gross. Um... Obviously, someone drinks this later, and I, I was just like imagining where this has come from. Well, this is—it's—it's it's this spiritual thing because once the once it does ferment and become the sake, it's offered at the shrine to the gods, which plays a very important part later on in the film as well. See, watching this for the second time recently, they managed to fit so much details into this story. Yeah, but it never feels like it's too much. Like I don't, I never felt like it was piling on yeah, so it much. It feels like ex- exposition. But no, like everything is presented at a really good pace, and it all comes back to advance the story in one way or another along the way. And I can't think of too many other films that can cram so much story into this little time frame so so far and not make me get confused. I'm not, I haven't been confused at all during this film so far, first and second time. And it's funny seeing her do this because you do have this, obviously, ancient ritual that's happening, which she's a part of, but her classmates are there. And so while you're seeing this, this you know, ancient thing going on, you can see that she's embarrassed by what's happening as well. Like well, because cl- she's a teenager. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's good that it's showing that, that she's not all in on this stuff. She's still a normal, regular high school girl yeah. with regular high school girl problems. And I feel like it really grounds her in a in a positive way. You know, it makes her more relatable to the viewer, which, considering how nuts this movie gets, I think is really important, making us care and empathise with this character. Well, I see that this this film is definitely catered to a younger audience as well because of because of the pace of it as well. This is a frenetic, fast paced film throughout. Mm. And it's just, like you said, it's about teenagers and their struggles as well. So I feel like all Cement. different all different demographics and all different ages can actually get something out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, following that scene, you get straight away you get the lovely discussion between Mitsuru and her sister Yotsua, and I really loved to hear the random speech bubble pop up. Oh, yeah. It's like it's suddenly you th- she's thinking of this ad for doing this. Um, was it selling the sake? Yeah, yeah. She's it thinking was. of doing this ad, and you get this still image of her. And then the camera pans down and you see it's a speech bubble or like a thought bubble that she's having. I just thought it was a really good play on or a really good use of the medium of anime. anime yeah. And I like I did notice that as well throughout the film, all these different anime tropes. Like you get the, the over-exaggeration from some, like from Taki, like at some with a, what? Like that, yeah, the, and they uh, get the big red lines yeah, on the and, cheeks. And, and all that is, I, I loved it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I loved it too. I loved it too. Like by no means are we serious anime fans at no, all. No. 
Uh, most of our experience is definitely reduced to a lot of Studio Ghibli. Ghibli? Ghibli? Say it's, no more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I did like that sort of stuff. The yeah, those sudden like outbreaks of oh, <laughs> Mitsuwa, all that sort of stuff, which you can't imagine people actually behaving like that in real life. But it really fits the style really well. Yeah, I totally agree. So as we get Mitsuwa yelling out into the universe that she just wants to be. Did she say she wants to be a Tokyo boy? She says, I hate this town. I hate this life. Please make me a handsome Tokyo boy in my next life. Wow. Well, be careful what you wish for. Because... Wow, is that some uh, heavy yep. foreshadowing there. Because in the very next scene, we get Taki waking up, but it is actually Mitsuha in Taki's body. Now, I have a thought. The only reason she's saying this is because subconsciously, she's already had yes. these dreams. Yep. Right? So, she's already got this idea in her mind about this Tokyo boy. So it's not it's not as random and crazy as it sounds because she's already had some of these experiences which she's forgotten, but subconsciously they're still there. She yearns for Taki's lifestyle. Yeah. So again, the, I guess the trope here of knowing when uh, they're in each other's bodies is the touching and the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it happens a lot, and it is is to a point where it does get a little humorous. Like later on down the line, he's like, when Taki is in Mitsuo's body, you know, like ready to touch the boobs. He's like, no, nah, I shouldn't. <laughs> no, not this time. And then, he, and then she, the sister Snap opens the door, cut, and there yeah. he is doing it anyway. <laughs> Which is very, you know, that's how teenagers would probably act. If you, if there were teenagers who swapped into the different gender, they would be a little bit exploratory there. And you see it here as well when Mitsuha's Mitsuha. I'm just, I'm just glad the little sister, you know, walked in at that moment yeah. and stopped it from getting any further. <laughs> personally, who knows where this movie would have gone? I like to keep my animes PG rated. Thank you very much. <laughs> But uh, it was a good callback here with Mitsuwa waking up in Taki's body and feeling his chest and the lack of breasts. Yes. I did like that. So what what did you think of the soundtrack of this film? Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I didn't make any notes on it because I didn't no. really know how to describe it. It's, it's like this Japanese sort of rock, but like definitely the intro is the Japanese rock like sort of pop song, which is fantastic. But throughout you get that, Oh, is it piano or guitar? It's probably piano. Piano. You get that piano sort of melody that comes in and it hits. It's very loud. It's very prominent. It's not a, a subtle score that, you know, sits in the background a bit. This is in your face when it comes up and it's really good. Yeah, well, the soundtrack was actually done by a Japanese band called Rad Wimps. Rad Wimps, I guess. They actually worked really closely with the director, Makoto Shinkai, on the, on the script and the story to create complimentary music something that is the exact opposite in singing in the rain <laughs> yes and you can see the difference and how much it pays off in a film like this compared to singing in the rain i completely agree now one also one another little interesting thing i read was that so the four members of this band were actually broken up and given separate scenes to do individually to score so you get this distinctly different sounding music in different parts of this movie because the tone in this movie does jump around a lot oh, yeah. from comedic to romantic to drama to Armageddon style movie mm-hmm. like it's it's all over the place and I don't say I don't mean that in a negative way I just mean that the tone does jump around yeah. and the music does it with it it needs to go with it yeah yeah and it reflects it really well so reading yeah. that that's how they actually accomplish that feeling I was pretty impressed with that it's it's something something different they actually also wrote all new English covers for their original songs that they had in the film when the film got internationally released as well. So if you went out there and, and watched the English dub version, you're actually getting the English lyrics to the songs as well. I've only your voices speak at night. 
Did you? Did the version you watch have subtitles for the music? Yes, it did. And it was hard to keep up. Really oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I did see, it was very relevant, but yeah, it was it was hard to keep up reading the r- lyrics. So one thing I noticed with Taki is he has a band aid, a bandage on his face. I, d- I never picked up why he had that. Um, did I miss that? No. The only thing that they reference that that bandage is when he's sewing the skirt of Okudera, and she goes, "Your," she said, to, "She said you're weak, but you light, te- you're short tempered, and point and touches the yeah. cheek." So maybe that indicates that he's, you know, a little short tempered, got into a bit of a, a fight, and a that's scuffle. where they come from. Yeah. But uh, when I saw it, I'm like, "Oh, no, that's ba- a good bandage. pickup." Yeah. Because it's def- it's prominent, and when she first sort of gets in Taki's body, she touches it and goes, oh, like yeah. it's... Yeah, it's definitely there for a reason. So I found this quite funny when Taki is at school with his friends, Sukasa and Shinta, and because it, it's Mitsuha, she doesn't know how to speak properly, so she starts saying these these Japanese inflections, and she starts off with... Watashi. Which is translated, is, is basically a polite and mostly general expression that's used by mostly women. And so when they go, Watashi? she realizes what she said, but then she continues with, uh, which is a more formal expression of the last word, still used by females. Yeah. So they're still... Uh-huh. So she starts to say it as a question, and she says, Boku. which is an expression used by men, but it's a formal one. Like, it's, it's, it's a humble uh, reference to yourself. So yeah. when they're still like, huh? she finally settles on, Ore? which is... The, the the pronoun that they would use to, for themselves if you're kind of like have a rough image. And yeah. so when she finally says that and they're like, <sighs> they finally settle on that word. <sighs> yeah. no, Which I thought good. that whole thing was fine. Even before I knew what the words meant, you could tell what, you could understand what was going on there. Yeah. And it was, it was so funny. Yeah, no, it was clever. And even like, when you're talking about the anime, the tropes they have, when they mention that they're going to go to a cafe and she gets so excited, she's like, eh, eh, eh. Yeah. I I thought all this is just so it's so funny, but man, like even when they even when she gets into Tokyo, going to the cafe, and she's so just enamored by everything. She's watching the dog sit on the chair, just so happy and excited about what's going on here. She still she still thinks it's a dream, but she's having like the time of her life. And I love that transition that they show where she's looking at the food on the table, takes a picture with the phone, and then the phone drops down and the food's gone. Like she ah uh, yeah. 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 I thought that was great too. So as you say, Mitsuha thinks it's all a dream, but she goes to work. Because she's never had to work. She's like, I'll go see what this is like. She goes to work. And it's so harsh. She's like, oh, why would I do this? Do you ever go to work in your dream? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Do I go to work in real life sometimes? Probably not. So we are introduced to Okudera. One thing actually about this film. Miss Okudera. Sorry, my apologies. Where's your respect? One thing about this film is the side characters, they're all very prominent here from... From Tsukasa and Okudera, who go on the trip with... Miss. <laughs> I'm not... They say uh, it. All right, I will be respectful. Miss Okudera. Miss Okudera. My Thank apologies, you. once again. Nah, but those two, and from from Mitsuha's friends, Teshi and Sayaka, and as well as her sister... Yotsuha. Yotsuha. Yeah, all these people in this film, they're so prominent, and they're so well used as well. I feel like they are a perfect combination of... Secondary characters that don't hog the screen but are there to f- to, to help out. To complement the yeah. mains. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of them, 
which is good though because there's no there's no secondary character that's sort of you know leaning towards anywhere near as prominent as Mitsuru or Taki exactly. but there's enough there that they can all get enough screen time and be somewhat fleshed out themselves yeah and in this restaurant scene we see that Taki helps Miss Okudera sew up the slash in her dress from this weird bloke which yeah that guy was really weird yeah you saw that he pulls the razor out yeah, I don't like, know what that what was about doing yeah because it was weird because he pulls the razor out and then it cuts and he's gone. They're just cleaning. I'm like, what's what, the point what? of that? Yeah. yeah, and then you see the slash. You're like, ah, oh, okay, fair I'm enough. But this, but the fact that he's sewing up this slash in a dress, it feels like, feels like to me you can tie it in with this the thread and tying things together. Like he's sewing up this slash in you know time. It could be with this thread, which is a big deal in this movie. Yes, thank you. <laughs> That's a good pickup. So in the end... Not sure about the little pictures he was drawing. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe it's just for fun. So in the end, Mitsuhara and Taki's body writes it all off as a dream, puts a memo in his phone, writes her name on his hand. Remember mm. that. Mm. That's coming up. And she goes to sleep. And this is where we get Taki waking up the next day in his body wondering what the hell has happened. <laughs> looking at the looking at the name, looking yeah, at it's the... very funny. He's going through the photos yeah. in his phone and he sees the diary entry. <laughs> Oh yeah, this whole thing was great. Just the the reaction of what he has to do to like to fix up all the stuff from Mitsuha the day before when he gets to the restaurant and all the waiters are like, "You're making a move on yeah. Miss Okudera." <laughs> He's like, "What? What?" <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. Even from even the same on the other side with Mitsuha when she was learning from her friends what had happened the day before. But when they soon realise through the notes they left everywhere that they're not dreaming mm. and they're actually switching, we get to this montage. <laughs> A nice, happy, a poppy montages. song. Uh, what? There's a few montages. No, this is the big one. This, this, this one is just them back and forth, you know, going through each other's lives like they lo- they're loving it. Basically, screwing it up sometimes as well. Like yeah. um, they're writing on their faces in yeah. ink and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, and so I guess after this montage, like this is all the happy, the happiness, and that it starts to get a little bit into the serious side here as we start to learn about this comet that's coming. And everyone thinks it's just this comet that's passing by. Little do they know that a chunk of it's going to break off and kill them all. Comet Tiamat. Yes. So we get to one of these days after the switch where Mitsuha, who is actually Taki, goes to the family shrine with Yotsuha and her grandmother, where they go to offer this Kuchukamasaki to the shrine. So when they cross this river to visit the place of the god Musubi, we find out that this is known as the Underworld. And in exchange for returning to this world, you must leave behind what is most important to you. And we need this here, as we did with the other stuff, for information that is going to come back later on. Yeah, I mean, this stuff is just vital. This is... Yeah. And I must say, the music during this scene as well is fantastic. This this touching, lovely music. Like, I, I can't stress enough, all the music in this, I'm just going to repeat myself, is fantastic from the joy, from the happy tones to the somba, to the, the touching and lovely, all of it. Do you have a fourth one? The piano. <laughs> Did you get uh, Spirited Away vibes here? Right here. Crossing the water to go into yeah, the underworld. I did, I did. I was, I was like, gee, that's that's not very subtle. <laughs> <laughs> I Actually, I overall, I think, honestly, I, I much rather prefer the Mitsua countryside of the story as opposed to the Taki City 
portion of it. I find it much more fascinating, probably because it contains much more of the meat of the story. While the Taki City stuff is fine, I feel like that's used to keep the story a bit lighthearted and throw you off the, the scent well, of this huge devastation well, that's Taki's coming. Well, Taki's a much more um, superficial character. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Mitsu is obviously... Mitsu is the one with the dreams and the aspirations. Yeah. You don't really get that from Taki. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, he's this rough kid, and he obviously benefits greatly from learning, you know, a bit about a feminine side to him, mm. and that helps. That helps you in life. You don't have to always put up this tough front, and having the gentle touch of Mitsuha does improve his life, but yeah, the stakes for the Mitsuha side of the story are obviously much greater. Yeah. So, during the scene, we see that the grandmother senses that this is not Mitsuha. There's someone someone who's in Mitsuha as yeah, well. And she gives this, you are dreaming, right? And it... It cuts. It, it, you get that, that look, like that same shot look, that it's Taki in like this mysterious plane. Like he's in the body, but he's yeah, like... Yeah. It, was, it was weird. Like it was, it, I just thought it was so quick because she says that, it cuts, and then you don't hear about that again until much later on. But the fact that she says that at that time, this is the first time we realise that She's picking up on what's going on. So this is yeah. where we've, you know, we find out that she's probably had some experience with this as well, which we do find later on in great detail. Yeah. So again, the scene snap cuts and moves to the next day where Taki wakes up in his own body. He looks at his phone and he sees that Mitsuha has set up this date with Miss Okudera. Which he's late to. Yep. <laughs> and he rushes through the city and he's so nervous. He's yep. so, he has no idea how to talk to her. And she asks, oh, have you been waiting long? And it's just like, oh, yeah, no, yep. oh, oh. That, I don't know. <laughs> You get that? Did you notice when they're in the museum that he sees on the wall yeah. the lake? Yes. In this like black and white old yeah. drawing. And you, and if you were him, you're like, it's I, nostalgia he just saw that the day something. before as well. Yeah, yeah. In his mind. So, yeah, yeah that would be a little confusing, I reckon. Well, it's amazing that there's he's seen this, this photo collection of, what's the town called? Itamori. Itamori. Say it again. Itamori. Ita? Itomori. Itomori. Yeah, he sees this photo collection of Itomori, and there's no mention of this huge, devastating comet. Well, this is like a photo gallery, so I doubt there'd be information on it. Well, if you have a photo gallery of this town, there's no way that three years after an event that massive, there would be no mention of it anywhere in in photography. Like, there wouldn't be a before and after pic, or maybe... I'm. Yeah. To be fair to him, he's on this nervous-as-fuck date with Miss Okudera. I don't think he's really focusing on anything else. He sees the photo and he's like... Yeah, but I looked oh, at the like... photos and it's But you're pre... not on the date with Miss Okudera, are you? Well, unfortunately not, but it's, pre... <laughs> it's pre-comet hitting. And I just I just found it odd that you would have a gallery with a collection of photos from that, that village and not have any reference to a comet wiping out the town. That's just my thoughts. So it's here that we start to see that they both realise they're having feelings for each other. You can see, even Miss Okudera says, you used to like me, but you don't anymore. There's someone else now. Yeah. And you see Mitsuha back in her body thinking, oh, I'm starting to I'm starting to like this guy. And you're like, okay, so this is where, this is where it's going. This is going to be this romance film. They're going to get to, they're going to find each other and get together. Yep. And so he tries to call her, but she's unreachable because she's dead. She did. <laughs> she did. Yeah, so after um, your name starts laying the groundwork or laying the foundation of a romantic relationship between Taki and Mitsuha, you see Taki reading through notes from Mitsuha. And she has said that the, this comet will be visible to the naked eye, and he has absolutely no idea what she's talking about. And this is where he tries to call her, and you start, you start learning that, yeah, hold on. Yeah. Something's not right. 
And he says, he says, for some reason, Mitsuo and I never switch places again, which isn't true. What did you think of that weird little transition of when she's looking at the comet, and then it zooms straight into her eye, and you get that... And it cuts to black. What did you, th- what did you think that was when you first saw it? Oh, man. I don't remember when I... What? On the rewatch, what do you think I thought? Well, we know what you thought on the rewatch. You don't remember what you thought I on the I don't remember time? what I okay, thought on the first... Okay, fair enough. Do you? No. Nah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's it's showing that she's dead. Like, But we don't know that. No, you don't, but it's... Did in- you... You How would you be able to pick that up, that she died there? No, you wouldn't. Anyway. So, like you said, they, they don't switch again after this through the use of what they've been doing so far. Yeah, it's just weird that he says we would never switch again, but they do. I just, I thought that was odd. So he ends up going on a journey with Sukasa and Miss Okudera, and using basically only his memories that he has, he starts to draw landmarks of Itamori. Though he doesn't know the name of the town, which is kind of weird. Like, he spent a lot of time in that town in Mitsuo's body. Don't you think he would have picked up on the name of the town? That's the whole point. Like, there's so much he's forgetting. These drawings are just these random images that he's trying to hold on to. But, like, even when he's trying to show the texts to his friends, the notes, all the diary they're entries... Starting to, they're starting to fade out. They're just they're just disappearing. Like, that's that's what his memory is doing. Like, I, I don't have any qualms with him not being able to yeah, remember the okay, name fair of enough. the town. I think that's, that's accurate to what this movie sets up. No, that's good. And I'm glad because the fact that, you know, there might have been this little issue and you've resolved it so quickly... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I can fill those plot holes for you. So, as they're trying to find out where this place is, they find out that it is Itamori, but, spoiler alert, twist alert, Itamori was destroyed three years ago by a comet fragment. And this is where we, the audience, figure out that the body switching is actually happening three years apart, yeah. and that everyone in the village, including Mitsua, were killed. Yeah. And i got to tell you, when I saw this for the first time, my mind blew open. I had no idea this is what it was about and thought it was a great reveal that turns this film all the way over on its head. What did you think of it when you saw it? It's a fantastic twist. Yeah. Because you're right. It, it, there's no setup for it, but then you get this mystery. Like, he's going on this adventure trying to find out and solve this mystery of, of what's happened. Yeah. Why, why can't I get in contact with her? Why can't I find this town? And then it gets it gets answered perfectly. Yeah, it's like amazing. Like, that, that solves any issue you have with, why didn't he just ever call her? Like, he can't. Yeah, exactly. She's dead. Yep. And you see that he's, when they go to Itamori to look at the, the place, you see that there is now a second lake. Mm. Did you notice the, how, how it was shaped? Like a, did. an infinite sign? Yeah, and that's fantastic symbolism here. So, the two craters, as you say, do create the infinity sign. Yeah. To represent how time is eternal. Now, this symbol is actually called, do you know this? If you don't, you won't guess it. It's actually called Lemniscate. And comes from Greek. I was just about to say that. (laughs) Comes from Greek mathematicians. Get this though. Interestingly enough, lemniscate in Greek actually translates to ribbon. Wow! Look at that. Mind blown again. (laughs) Honestly, when I was when I was reading this, I was like, "What? That's fantastic!" (laughs) Yeah, I I thought that was brilliant. This film, I tell you. So you see when he. When they're looking over at the infinite lake now, he pulls out his phone to see the message and they start disappearing. Yeah. I mean, if as if your mind wasn't going nuts at this point already, to see this as well, it's just piling on each other. It's, it's so fantastic. But I'll talk about the disappearing messages later on because that comes up as well. So this is also where we're showing that Taki has been wearing the thread from the train as a sign of good luck. Yeah, but he good has, luck charm. He has no memory of how he got it or who gave it to him. 
And at this point, neither do we either, because remember that thing at the start was a dream that has no connection to this whatsoever at this point for us. Yes. Three years ago, he's had it. I actually think this is a good time to talk about this film's strong theme of separation, which I think is shown brilliantly with the use of cutting the screen in half. Did you notice anything to do with cutting this screen down the middle? I did, but I'll let you take this one. It's used a lot during this film, most notably with the opening and closing of the doors in the center oh, of the screen. The, yeah, the doors, they're all over the place. thats It's symbolizing that. They're separating the separating these two people. This is this three-year difference. That's it's separating fantastic. them. That is and so good. Because f- I honestly, I spent all day today, I'm like, okay, these doors, they're not an accident. They yeah. happen probably 20 plus times in this movie. Yes. What do they mean? That's and what it is. And you've just answered it. Yeah. You're right. Separation. Bang. Door is closing. And it seems to happen a lot when Mitsuha and Taki are connected to each other in some way. And- it's not really happening when they're like in the middle, in this middle portion now. Taki has just realized that he has, you know, that Mitsuha was, you know, dead three years ago. There's no connection Still with is. them anymore. And you realize that there's none of this happening at this point. It happens at the start and it happens at the end. There's nothing in the middle here. Mm. And there's also, with separation as well and the cutting in half, there's also the obvious difference between the city and the country and the boy and the girl. But I feel like the screens and, and even some other shots coming up, which I'll get to them. So we see that Taki goes by himself to the shrine, and as we learned earlier on, in exchange for returning to this world, you must leave behind what's most important to you. So what will he leave behind that's most important to him when he does this? It's his memory of Mitsuha. Yeah. And the same for Mitsuha, when she wakes up in the shrine in Taki's body, when she leaves the underworld, she also has to leave something behind, what's the most important to her, which is her memory of Taki. So Taki goes into the shrine and sees the Kuchukamasaki that he thinks he put there only a couple of days ago, but in reality, it's actually happened three years ago, hence the mold all over the containers. Yeah, he knows that now. Yeah. He drinks Mitsuhasaki, slips and falls. Which is, which is half of Mitsuha. Yes, exactly. That's a part that's, of That's her. what it is. Yeah. yeah. Slips and falls, but at the same time, he basically falls through time at the, at the same point. And he starts to see this whole story of Mitsuha, her whole life, from her birth, her Hold mother on, passing. Hold on, before that, before that. Yeah. When he slips and falls, before he starts seeing her life, do you know what he says? Thread? No, he sees like a fucking oh. painting of the wall, yeah. on the wall of this comet. Now, I put it to you, that's the comet from 1200 years ago, all right? He's not seeing, like, that's drawn on the wall. Yeah. All right, so he's fallen back and he's able to see this thing. And then it starts, you see, like... It's not straight away into um, the mother and all that. You see, like, cells, like, forming and growing. It's almost like a beginning of time sort it's, of thing. It's like he's gone into the beginning of time. Yeah, to see and this. then it rushes forward up yeah. to Mitsuha. Because of the sake, and now he, she's part of him again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you see her birth, you see her mother passing, you see her father abandoning... Which was great. Like, oh, yeah. I love that they gave the father a sympathetic backstory. because yeah. he needs it. <laughs> he does. Yeah. He definitely does. And he sees her switching, and then he sees the comet come down... And take her out. And yeah. it's, this whole scene is exquisite. Like the again, the music, the animation, Mitsuha, like the voice on. acting. Mitsuha, Mitsuha, Mitsuha. Like they're speaking Japanese, but you can you can hear the emotion coming out of them. And I know I've talked about the gorgeous animation already, but how can you not be dazzled by how fantastic this looks? Mm. I mean, no, the animation's incredible. Like it is, it is. Gorgeously animated. Yeah. I mean, I could keep saying that the whole time. <laughs> Every Everything in this film is gorgeously animated. Do you know how it's animated? I think it is. A, like, there is some 3D elements to it. It's all digitally animated. Like, it's it's hand-drawn yeah. digitally. 
Do you know what I mean? Houses. It's not like your minion bloody CGI no, effects. Of course, no, it no, is of course not. it is hand drawn digitally. And this director, Makoto Shinkai, really pioneered this. Yeah. So this is where Mitsuha wakes up the morning of the comet crash, although it is it's Taki now. Taki, yes, yeah, Taki Taki, now. Taki yeah. wakes up as Mitsuha yeah. on the morning. Knowing now that this is going to happen. So he meets with her grandmother, who again realizes that something someone else is inside Mitsuha. She also explains that she also used to have these weird dreams that yeah. Mitsuha yeah. is having, yep. although she doesn't remember any of them. Yep. We also see now, they figure out that it is running through their family generation as well. Mm. That's where she picks up on it. Do we, I'm going I'm to continue saying she, even though it is Taki, we're just, I'm just going to say she. I can't believe we haven't had this conversation already. I think it's done quite well I, so far. I, I thought we would struggle with, okay, so it's Taki as Mitsuha, no, we or so- it's Mitsuha as Taki. Like, it, we've done well. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll find out. People are going to be like, I'm so confused by what you're talking about. So, Mitsuha goes to meet Teshi and Sayaka, and they, they make this evacuation plan. Like, this, they, you know, they plan- And the friends just immediately don't bad an eye. Yep, you so, are correct. Let's do it. The world's about to end. We trust Why you completely. Not? So they plan to blow up the electric station, hijack the PA announcement to get everyone out of town. And convince the dad to evacuate the city. Yes. So as this is happening, she tells them to continue with the plan and she heads off to the shrine. Taki realizes that if he's in Mitsuha's body, she would be in his body in the shrine at this time as well. It's also at this point that we see Taki realize where he got the red thread from. Mm. This is where he starts to pick it up. That how the day before the comet, the day before the comet, which was the day before at this point, Mitsuha took a trip to Tokyo to meet Taki, hmm. where after not being able to reach him on his phone, since that phone's from three years in the future, she stumbles across him on a, on a train. As you do in yeah. Tokyo, <laughs> small city. Yeah. But this is three years prior, so he has no clue who she is. And again, the way the score plays with the great animation of her being visually upset at this, as well as the innocent looking Taki, it's incredibly effective. She's so depressed and he's just giving her a look like, hmm, yeah, it's weird girl. A, it's a great scene. Yeah. You you genuinely feel bad for Mitsuha, yeah. who is, you know, so into this guy and they have this insanely close connection and she finally sees him. She's like, Taki, and he's like, huh? who are you? <laughs> now, surely if a stranger on a bus comes up to you and says your name, you would be a bit more intrigued about how they know you. He just sort of blows it off. Until he doesn't. Yes. So Mitsuha gets off the train, and he's still a little confused by this, so he asks her her name, and she yells, <laughs> And hands him the thread, which is what we see at the start of the film. Yeah. So now we see that this red thread binds the two of them. The red braided cord that Mitsuha wears represents the invisible red string of fate that is said to connect someone to their fated person, according to Japanese tradition. So you see now that Taki, who is Mitsuha, wakes up in the shrine and heads out to see the town of Itamori is destroyed. She doesn't re- she doesn't know that her switching with Taki has been happening three years in the future. Yep. And at this point, we see that Mitsuha as Taki arrives as well. And you see these two, they start running and calling out to each other. Dusk is approaching. They can hear each other, but they can't see each other. This is because they're in the same place, but three years apart. Mm. Here's the thing. In talking about the infinite lake before, did you notice here that when they're cutting back and forth between each person, the lakes are completely different. You have when, when Taki... <laughs> no, I didn't. So you see when Taki's looking, you see the infinite lake in the background. And he's on the left and the lake is on the right. And then yep. when you snap cut to Mitsuha looking the other way, she is on the right yep. and the lake is on the left, but it's the single lake. So you can see they're still in separate times. And again, that overriding theme of separation, you get these perfect shots of these hands stretching out Mm. To have the flare, 
to have the flare in the background cut the shot in half down the middle on both hands. Mm. Their hand goes through the middle, and as their hand drops, the flare from the sunset divides the screen dead in half twice. Mm. There's that separation again. And as the sun sets, twilight happens, they finally see each other, and anyone who listened to our top 10 films of 2017 podcast, we spoke about our best scenes of 2017. Hit that. Excellent! This is obviously my favourite scene of the movie. It's my favourite scene of the year. This is just unreal. We go back Take to... Take it away, Hendo. <laughs> we go back to the point that the teacher was trying to make earlier on in the class. Twilight. It's not a day or night. It's the time when the world blurs and one might encounter something supernatural. The film uses this here to take Takia Mitsuha to a place that's independent of time. You also see that they've switched back into original bodies. And now in the background, you can't see any details on the number of lakes. It's blurred. This is because it's neither one or two. It's a place independent of time. And over this gorgeous score... I'm, I'm, I'm getting numb talking about it. And over this gorgeous score, they both have their first face-to-face conversation. They have their moment to express their feelings. Mitsuha calls Taki a pervert. <laughs> that when, was funny. When he mentions drinking her sake. Remember, the sake is made from her saliva. So the act- That's not what she was saying pervert about. It was for all the boob touching. It was touching. for that as well. It's for all the boob touching. Yeah, but, but when she says, you drank my sake. <laughs> and, and, and he goes, oh, just once. And she's like, yeah. mm. <laughs> She can't talk. She was getting a feel. So you see here that Taki gives back Mitsuha the red thread for her to keep. He suggests that they should write each other's names on their hand so they don't forget one another. Yep. So Taki writes on her hand, and then when Mitsuha begins to write, well, the score just cuts. She disappears. Yep. It's silent. Mitsuha's gone. Taki's back in his time. And my God, is this scene devastating. Yeah. So that that hard cut from the massive build-up, they're finally together. They're writing, they've written on each other's hands, or Mitsuha starts writing on Taki's. She gets a line. She gets a line. Yeah. And bang, everything stops. The it's pen just, drops. Just, that's it. Nothing. It's, oh, it, man. It is stunning. You feel as alone as he is in that moment. It's mm. silent. It's heartbreaking. It's... It is. And that is why it's also... Excellent! Yes! <laughs> awesome. We agree. Our first agreement on the favorite scene of the movie. Yeah. like It's it's really... It's just so emotional. Oh, it's unreal. And the fact he starts to forget Mitsuha's name before he can write it on his hand... Yeah. It adds to it. Because remember, he returned the thread. So this time, the effects of the switch end instantly. The thread is helping him remember. It's yeah. gone. He doesn't have it on him now. Yeah. So he starts to forget straight away. And it's also, as you alluded to before, to leave this place, they do have to give up. Exactly. What they cherish most. Yeah. But remember, Taki had the thread. Which is each other's memories. Yeah. Taki had the thread all this while, for like three years. This helped them in keeping them from forgetting each other after every switch. Had it not been for that thread... The memos on his phone may also have gotten erased soon after each switch ended. The thread helped to prolong every memory after a longer period of time. Mitsuha's grandmother remembers her, her switches as like a fuzzy dream. Mm. She probably never gave anybody a thread as a result. The connection was never strong enough for her to remember. Yeah. Had Mitsuha not come to Tokyo to meet Taki and give him the thread, their switches could have remained those hazy memories as well. Mm. The thread only helps delaying the process of them forgetting each other. The reason they start forgetting each other is the trip to the shrine, like you said. They leave behind what's most important to them, the memory of each other. The thread helped preserve Taki's memory for long enough to find the town of Itamori. So now we go to Mitsuha on the day that the comet hits Itamori. She's obviously panicked. She's stricken about trying to save, you know, the town's population, all yeah. her friends and family. And she's sprinting down this pathway and she falls. 
looked really brutal as well there. Yeah, it was it was a hard fall. Again, great animation. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so she's lying there, she's helpless, she's got nothing, and her hand you can see her, she's got her hand right next to her, and her hand slowly opens. You and get that you get that voiceover as well. We'll write each other's names on our hands to remember each other. Yeah. So when she's opening her hand, yeah, you and think you're it's gonna expecting, come up. You're expecting it to say Taki. And instead it says Instead the subtitles come up. Instead those subtitles come up and it says, I love you. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. Like it's it's really it's really brutal. Yeah, so when Taki writes I love you on her hand and she realizes that, she says to herself, I can't find you with this. But Ultimately, I think it was probably the best thing he could have written for her to find him because she most likely would have forgotten his name as soon as it was washed off. But because that love between them was reassured at least once, I think it probably contributes to their longing for each other. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's um, probably. I think for sure, as you say, like when the when the name vanishes from her hand, she's going to forget the name. Yeah. Like that's how it works. She's going she's gonna to forget it. But one thing she cannot forget is this feeling of love which is greater than just a name. This feeling that there's something out there I'm missing, there's someone or something I need to get to, and that drives that drives them both. Yeah, basically exactly what I just said, but good point. But you said probably in a really weak <laughs> hendo way of being non-committal about it, and I said it properly that it, this is fact. I say probably to open up a discussion, not to close anything off. You say off. probably because you, you're not, you don't have the uh, conviction of your... Uh, you say tomato, I say tomato. You say probably tomato. <laughs> you know. <laughs> maybe. You're like, no. Like, no, tomato. No, it's, it's tomato, okay. <laughs> uh, maybe. Uh, probably tomato. So anyway, the bomb goes off. The plan starts to work, but they get caught. And now Mitsuha has to convince her dad to evacuate the town. But we don't actually see her finish the convincing. Do you think that was because... They wanted to keep this a little bit ambiguous to see if she actually did survive. I mean, honestly, I don't think it's ever a question of whether or not she was going to survive. I think the question was, is the town people going to survive? And I did like that they left it like that. Because you see, you see her slam it down and, and he says, who are you? Yeah. You know, again. It's all, yeah, who are who you? Are you? Yep. Identity. It's so important here. And you sort of see that. Who are you? And then it cuts to five years later. So Taki is going about, he's finished college, he's going looking for jobs everywhere and you get the impression that he's getting a bit deep with his search and that even though he's searching for a job, there's really something more important that he's searching for and his two friends can't really understand it. They've got job offers coming out there. Shilly. They're what? They're shilly. Do I want to know what that is? means ass. <laughs> <laughs> so after you, you sort of see this thing about him searching... For he doesn't know what you get this little montage of newspaper clippings with some news with some news reporters speaking over the clippings and it says it's eight years since the comet and they say the entire town happened to be holding an emergency drill that day yeah. and everyone was saved so so you do see here that um, Taki and Mitsuo were successful in saving everyone from the comet yeah so during all this we see that Taki catches up with Miss Okudera who turns out that she's married now. They have a little conversation and he mentions that they can't remember much from the day that they went to Itamori. Yeah, they sort of reminisce about that, you know, that strange, that would have been a very strange time for them oh, five yeah. years ago. And I think, it, I think it was really interesting here that uh, Miss Okudera does sort of bring up that she's engaged now and you can see that she's she's found what she's looking for. Yeah. Like she's completed that, that sort of part of her life that he is still longing. Like you sort of get the contrast between someone who's who's got a job 
she's engaged and she's you know she's got a successful life happening and then you've got Taki who's still searching yeah. he's still longing and then we get to the next scene where they stumble across each other you do get little bits and pieces along the way in this little montage where they are right like they're so close to each other but they're just not recognizing each other they see them walk past each other sometimes but yeah. they're, but they're not seeing each other and like you said, they finally see each other when they're li- both looking at these different trains and they just happen to catch their eyesight yeah. going past these trains. And they both know the importance of it. They yeah. both know this thing they've been searching for, they've just seen. Yeah. So they run out. Now, they are in trains going different directions and they both jump out at the station. <laughs> yep. Yeah. How the hell do they find each other? It's that connection, man. They, that ribbon. They, they know it. They can feel it. Yeah, it's crazy. But then... When they see each other, they don't. They don't. <laughs> I, I, when when you see Taki sort of look up and she's at the top of this big staircase, I, I thought he would run. I thought, oh, he's gonna run. He he just he plays it so cool. Just slowly walks up. I don't think they're playing it cool. I think they're, oh, just they're like, playing it. They recognize. They saw each other on the train. But they don't want And they the had that person. moment of recognition yeah. of realization. But then they see each other here and. No, nah, let's walk slowly Because they're, past. Not, they're still not 100%. They don't want to be the first to talk to this random stranger like, hey, remember me? But no, all of a sudden, Taki picks up the nerve and turns around and says, uh, do I know you? I don't think... I think what triggers that was the ribbon in her hair. Yes, He sees the flash of this yeah. red ribbon and he's just, no, I've got to say something here. And it ends on that final dot bit of dialogue. What is your name? And what a great way to end this film. Yeah, it is. It certainly is. Any last words? So, Dean, hit us with your final thoughts of your name. I don't have any. <laughs> did you leave it all out on the table? Yeah, I, I did leave it all out on the table. Um, final thoughts. I mean, what can I say that we haven't just already said? The animation's incredible. The voice acting from Mitsuya and Taki is amazing. And the anime style, the over-the-top emotions that they show, really fits this movie really well. The body swapping, time traveling stuff, I love it. I love, you know, sort of looking back and retrospective movies, looking at what could be, what if this happened, what would happen, what if this happened, what would happen. I just think the way that they handled it was different and original, even though it is, you know, it's been done a million times now, the body swapping stuff, but it's never been done quite like this. To throw this dramatic Armageddon style comet coming to destroy the town is just, it came from nowhere and it just took your name to another level. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I loved it on a rewatch. Like there was no, I did not enjoy it any less watching it again. And I like, I only watched it for the first time a few months ago and it was, it it's held up beautifully. So it's, it's right up there with one of the best animated films I've ever seen. Um, obviously, I still rate Spirited Away higher. I'm not sure where you land on that debate, but yeah, it's a fantastic piece of artwork and I just wish more people in America, Australia, other countries other than, you know, primarily Asian countries would see it more because it is a movie that warrants more, more, more views. What are your final thoughts? So I think it's pretty apparent from my general tone and positivity today, as well as from previous podcasts, that I adore this film. I chose to keep my thoughts brief about it during our Top 10 of 2017 episode because I, A, you know, I didn't want to spoil anything, and B, I knew we would be talking about this in the future. Well, the future's here now, and you've just ran through a spoiler gauntlet, so here it goes. This film is breathtaking in every sense of the word. Obviously, the animation is absolute perfection, with many, many stunning visuals and gorgeous shots, The film delivers such a complex story in a relatively short running time, 
It goes for like an hour and 40. Yeah, it's yeah. so short. But it's paced so well, it never gives you a chance to breathe, yet never feels suffocating either. It sends you head first into its complexities and never lets up. It consistently gives you information that furthers the plot lines, and just as you've had enough time to absorb all this new information, it hits you again with the next piece of relevant plot that keeps your attention from beginning to end. The two main leads in Taki and Mitsuwa, they're relatively simple characters, but they still feel very realistic. You don't need to have them be incredibly deep or carry emotional issues or internal conflict in order for them to carry a plot. They're regular teenagers doing regular teenage things. Ultimately, this is not a film about deep character study or even a character-driven drama. It's an exploration about connection and separation seen through the eyes of teenagers. So in that context, this film is handled wonderfully. The soundtrack is worked in excellently to keep with that poppy, upbeat tone that we associate with teen adolescence and the fast-paced nature of that demographic, as well as the film itself. And when the film and visual shift tones, so too does the music to completely complement every scene throughout. It's charming, it's hilarious at times, it's deeply emotional at other times too, but the film balances this perfect, which is something not a lot of films can do. The attention to detail in every frame is amazing. Makoto Shinkai has created something very special here. This film is an experience. Everything works perfect together. The plot, the visuals, the soundtrack, the themes and concepts, they all mesh together to create this gem of a movie. I bloody love this film. I can't wait to show my kids when they're subtitled ready, but until then, I'll just have to watch this for myself. An absolute knockout, and it gets the... Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. Outstanding. From me. I was the best because the crowd loved me. Okay, Dean, I'm very curious to see where this ranks on your list. Yeah, so the last few movies we've done have all uh, sort of petted away at the bottom of my list. This movie, however, is definitely a very strong movie for me. Going from the bottom, definitely better than Singing in the Rain, Vertigo, Wild Tales. Better than The Prestige. Going from the top, it's definitely not as good as Once Upon a time in america oh okay we figured that was gonna happen yeah so i've got diehard Django at two and three at the moment where's your battle is your battle with well your name against Django or your name against diehard it's your name against Django. so i think diehard's a classic and i don't think your name goes above diehard so three or four for you yeah i'm gonna put it above Django. okay so it's now third on my list okay so i'm not gonna be around the bush we're going to start at number three here for me. This is where we'll start this discussion, and it's a question of whether your name is better than The Prestige or not. And I've got to tell you, this film, it just hits me. It hits me so hard. Like, this film is better than The Prestige for me. Yes, it is. Now, is it better... Mostly because you overrate The Prestige. Is this better than Die Hard? Come on. No, it's not. Nice. It's not. And that's not a knock against your name. It's just Die Hard is just a I mean, classic. It's that's a classic. I love it to death. Die Hard still stays at number one for me. Your name now number two on my list. Very good. We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this oh. could be it. Oh. Okay, we have a tweet here from the Reanimator Pod at Reanimator Pod. Not so much of a review of the movie, but they did say. If you did like this film and want to see where this began and understand your name better, then you should check out Makoto Shinkai's 5cm per second, one of his earlier films. Might be something to look at in the future. But aside from that, we have... Oh, who is it? Oh, it's Dean's brother Shane. Ah, Shane. What have you got for me? Take it away, Dean. Okay, from Shane. I'm not a fan of anime, but I will show up for classics like Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle. 
People who have seen your name have blown it up like a balloon, hyping it for everyone to see, not just anime diehards. And sitting through this film was like having that balloon slowly fart its air into my face. What I can praise the film for are two things. The pretty animation and the evocative soundtrack. It certainly gets your attention in the opening credits with the use of both of these at the forefront. Unfortunately, when it comes time to tell a story, the film falls on its face. My biggest gripe with the film hit early on as I was as I struggled to make sense of what I was seeing. I picked up that the heroine and hero were swapping bodies, but the film cuts between scenes with such a frantic pace that it got to the point I didn't know when the boy was in the girl's body and when she was in her own body, at the same time with the boy and his body. Yeah, sure, there were scenes where it was obvious, and then there were another bunch of scenes where I had no idea. I also couldn't figure out when things were taking place, especially in the second half. I'm not sure if there was Obviously time... wasn't paying attention to the lake. I feel like Shane would really benefit from listening to this podcast. I'm not sure if there was a time travel... I'm not sure if there was time travel happening. Did you ever watch this film, Shane? Oh, okay. <sighs> or dream sequences or flashbacks or flash forwards or what. I also didn't particularly care for either of the main characters and found them generic. There are no villains in the film. No oh, bad... no. No villains? Jeez, that, that's it. No oh, villains. I thought, I thought you were about to disagree. I was like, who's the villain? There's the no dad? villain. That's it. It's a write-off. No bad guys. Mother Nature is the conflict. You know, like the day after tomorrow, Dante's peak, deep impact, that sort of thing. Not exactly my bag. In terms of the Phil's core message, the person who you switch bodies with might be your soulmate, didn't exactly grab me in a relatable way. In fact, the whole film seemed like a surreal dream set in a world without rules where anything can happen. Much like what movies can be. Movies are a an escape from reality sometimes. It's not total garbage, but that's about the best I can say about it. Okay, well, I'm going to bust out my friend Dr. Perry Cox here. Wrong, 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 wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. But yeah, thanks for that uh, insightful review, Shane. Yeah... Um, that's the beauty of cinema okay? <laughs> that you can have different opinions Hendo it's okay so we also put up a Twitter poll this week asking everyone what is the best anime movie and oh, I was a, stitched up so hard here we guys. did a little different here where we both got to pick two films and the and the movie that got the highest amount of votes was the winner and the person who picked that film got to give the other person uh, one movie to watch. Problem is, he he sent me he sent me this idea and said, "Oh, do you want to do this?" I was like, "Yeah, okay, okay." He goes, "All right, well, it's my turn to go first, Spirited <laughs> Away." I was like, "Well, fuck, what's the point?" Yeah, just, so spoiler alert: I chose Spirited Away. <laughs> I chose Spirited Away. Dean then went with Akira and Grave of the Fireflies, and I finished off with Princess Mononoke. Yeah, we had a couple of replies on the poll. We had one from my thing can beat your thing at thing beats thing says, Grave of the Fireflies doesn't stand a chance. It's too sad. We also have one from Dreg of Craigs, at Dreg of Craigs, said, who said, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Perfect Blue, My Neighbor Totoro. Unfortunately, I've only seen My Neighbor Totoro. I haven't seen the other two, so that's why they didn't get chosen. Dean, have you seen any of those there? I've seen My Neighbor Totoro. I haven't seen the other two, no. Okay. We also have a reply from the Reanimator Pod, Again, at Reanimator Pod, who said, Totoro over Grave of the Fireflies. Spirited Away is the best of the bunch, but 75% of the GOAT list is Ghibli. Love their movie so much, but there are so much more out there peeps are sleeping on. 
Wolf children would have to be a nice choice or angel's egg. Thanks for the input there, guys. Yes, thank you. We uh, always enjoy getting feedback. And after 47 votes, Grave of the Fireflies came in last with 15%. Princess Mononoke and Akira tied with 19%. And with 47% of the votes, Spirited Away takes the win. Fantastic result, I'd say. Rigged result. I do have a movie I've chosen for Dean. We'll get to that uh, in a little bit. But, yeah, good result. So, what's next? All right, Hendo, what are we doing next week? Let's uh, bust out that random number generator for us. All right, we got uh, 159. What have we got, Dean? Holy shit. All right, we have No Country for Old Men. Oh, yes. Wow. (laughs) What a movie. Okay. Look at that. All right. Pretty happy with that. Yeah, I'm happy with that. And there's a lot to uh, discuss there. Okay, so what we're going to do here is we've, we've done a poll for the last two weeks that tied into the theme of the movie. What we're going to do here now is we're going to set up a sort of March Madness style voting poll here where we'll pick, we'll pick a theme that's based off No Country for Old Men and we'll get 16 films that relate to that and put it in a sort of bracket style voting tournament to see which one is the greatest and considering it's uh, No Country for Old Men, Dean, what do you think about uh, the Coen Brothers films? What's the best Coen Brothers film? And we'll put a 16 of the Coen Brothers films and battle them out. Do they have 16 films? Yes, they do. Yes, they have 17 films. So we'll go... Here's what we're going to do. We will go with the 16 highest rated films on IMDb, rank them, seed them based on their highest rankings on IMDb, and we'll put it out to the audience in a Twitter poll, and we'll see by, the, by next week... Which one turned out to be the best Coen Brothers film as voted by you, the audience? And so what we'll do as part of our bet every week now is that for all the matches, we will fill out a complete bracket. We will pick our movies, which we'll think will win all the way down to our winner. And every one we get right, we get a point. There's 15 points up for grabs. Whoever gets the most for the week wins the bet. And we get to give a movie to the other person to watch for that one week. And we'll just continue doing that. So... Let us just go and quickly rank these and seed these films. We'll be back after this short break. Okay, we're back. So let's see the seeds. So our first match here is going to be the number eight seed True Grit against the number nine seed The Man Who Wasn't There. Next up is the number seven seed Blood Simple against the number 10 seed Inside Lewin Davis. Next is the number 6 seed, Barton Fink, against the number 11 seed, Raising Arizona. We're then going to have the number 5 seed, Miller's Crossing, against the number 12 seed, the Hudsucker Proxy. Up next is the number 4 seed, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, against the number 13 seed, Burn After Reading. Fargo is there at the number 3 seed, and they'll be taking on A Serious Man at the number 14 seed. The number 2 seed for the overall tournament bracket here is No Country for Old Men. It's going to be fighting the number 15 seed, Hail Caesar. And the number one seeded film of the Coen Brothers films is The Big Lebowski. And that'll be taking the number 16 seed on, Intolerable Cruelty. Ooh, that'll be a tough matchup. All right, so we'll do our brackets over the week. Yep. We'll hand them to each other so we know we're not cheating. (laughs) And we'll see what happens next week once we've reviewed No Country for Old Men. So that's going to do it for your name today. Stick around because we are going to talk about a couple of movies that we did see over the week, but that's going to do it for your name.
you like MoviePass, do you know what MoviePass is? My awesome uncle Keith and my cool cousin Noah talk about movies and MoviePass on their podcasts. Listen to the MoviePass pod on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. So now we'll get into the next part of the podcast where we discuss all the movies we've watched over the past uh, week or so since our last recording. Just an FYI, guys, that this will be spoiler-free, so no need to fear if you haven't seen the other movie. Hear our review and then make the decision from there. So, Dean, how many films did you watch this week? I watched one and a bit. Wow. All right, so I guess I'm going to be talking for a little bit, am I? Well, I've been busy. We've got AFLs back on, so I've been watching a bit of that. I started watching the Americans final season again, even uh, dipped into a little bit of Suits, which I'm not a real fan of anymore. But uh, yeah, I've been watching a few uh, TV shows lately. Right, well, I watched eight other films during this week, so I guess I'll talk for a little bit, shall I? Yeah, you can talk for a bit. So I don't want to talk, I'm going to just skip my number eight for a second. I want to talk about my number seven. Why? Because I swear to God, I thought this was going to be my worst film. Oh, okay. And that's Honey 2. <laughs> this is... A sequel, I guess, to the original Honey, even though the only thing that is connected to them is the fact that the mum is in it. And the title? The name of the... The the Honey is the character of Jessica Rubb in the first film. She's not even in this anymore, and they still call it Honey too. Like, it doesn't even make any sense. Okay. This film is just... It's a dance film. If you're going to enjoy it, you need to enjoy it for the dancing. And unfortunately, the dancing in it is very subpar, again. Like, it's... The dancing subpar? You see see one, you see them all. So they're going to... It's going to have to be flashier than the other ones. And this one just... It's the same. They're all the same. And this one didn't do anything to wow me. So... If it's not going to wear me in the dance factor, what's it, what's it going to do in its, in its character development, its acting, its anything else? No. This was a slog. <laughs> this was so bad. <laughs> Fair they, enough. They, they repeated some of the dance scenes. Like, there's the main character watches this dance crew, and they're like, can you do that? And she's like, sure. And they just repeat the whole thing again with her in it. I'm like, oh my god, stretch the runtime would you? And it barely makes like an hour and a half. Yeah. They really didn't have a lot to do here. Did the missus enjoy it, though? I think she did. No, you meant to say, uh, actually, I didn't watch it with the Miss. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's um, it's it's awful. Okay. Yeah, because I swear I thought that was going to be the worst film this week, but then I saw a little-known movie called Fifty Shades Freed. Oh, man. I guess the good thing I can say about this is I'm so glad there's no more and it's done. I mean, this is a nothing movie. Nothing happens. It's the same as the second one. The second one... I haven't seen the second one. It's it's just, a, you know, a 15-minute plot of something, and then go, that gets resolved. And then something else happens that's completely different to what's what's just happened, and then that gets, that gets resolved. This film, it doesn't know what it wants to be. Like, Fifty Shades is supposed to be some... Erotic. Yeah, and it's not. Sure, there's more of that in it this time, but it's not erotic or anything. It's quite poor. The Yeah, okay, the chemistry's better with them, but that's nothing. Is there's it? This, there's this... this um. What is it? Some psycho stalker bloke that's in it. And that gets resolved like halfway through it. And then they just rinse and repeat it in the second half. It tries to turn into this thriller action, which is just blink and you miss it. It's done and it's over. And it was to the point where I was laughing at it. Like it's, it's one of those so... It's hilariously bad. And I don't have anyone to... Talk, like to talk with about how bad it is, how laughably, laughably bad it is. no one else is that dumb to see it? Until now. No. <laughs> Dean, my movie that you're watching this week is Fifty Shades Free. Are you fucking kidding me? You're going to watch it, you're going to laugh at it, and we are going to talk about it on the next podcast. Do I need to watch the second one? (laughs) (laughs) Will I be lost plot-wise? You'll be lost plot-wise. You'll be looking for a plot. (laughs) 
Okay. You can go watch the second one if you like as well. Yeah. Maybe get two birds of one stone with this one. Yeah, nah. I'll just watch this one. Is it short at least? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I can't honestly. I can't remember. Uh, All right, so that's going to be fun next week. My number six film for the week, which is still in the not recommend category, is Peter Rabbit. I think I enjoyed it more than you from your reaction last time when I heard it. I still think it's not worthy to watch again. I think it's very light-hearted. It's fun. Peter Rabbit. You said that he was, you know, really immature and annoying. Yeah. I didn't see that as much as what I thought I was going to, based off your interpretation. I feel like it was more the voice from fucking James Corden. Who this fucking? I don't even know who it is. He's this like he's a late night presenter. He just popped out. This British guy popped out of nowhere, and he's in everything. He just I'm so like I sent a message to you when I looked, and I'm like, is that fucking James Corden? And then I looked it up, and I'm like, that's it. I'm fucking done. Like (laughs) this, this is not going to get a pass from me. But yeah, Domino Gleeson is good in it. Like, the chemistry with him and Rose Byrne is fine. It's just, it's you know, it's a light, fluffy film. The fluffy, pun intended, for the rabbit. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, my, my children loved it. I thought it was, you know, it was fine. I don't, I wouldn't watch it again. I just, I just pass on it. I think there's much better family-friendly kids' films out there. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Like, it's it's fine. You can sit through it. It's not boring. It's a bit annoying, but it's it's light-hearted and it's easy to watch. Yeah. So moving into my number five, which is still a not recommend, is The Commuter. Oh, really? Yeah. This has been done many times before. How does it Much compare better. to the other Neeson action? Compared to Unknown and non Is it Unknown non stop And then, Unknown, yeah. Is it Unknown? Yeah. The, the same director? Yeah. This is the worst one. Really? The other two I give gen- like general recommends. This one... I mean, it, start, it starts so good. It it has a, a an opening title montage that is very reminiscent of Synecdoche, New York. It's done so well there, and I was like, "Yeah, this is going to be good. I can see this is this is going to be a good one." But it just turns into this predictable, generic action film. Liam Neeson, he's Danny Glover now. He's too old for this shit. Did you just compare the Commuter to Synecdoche, New York? I did, in the fact that this isn't a spoiler, but the the opening montage is him doing his daily routine, but every shot is a new day. It just, okay. And it's done very smoothly. From I wonder his... if you're the first person to ever compare those movies. Maybe. Should tweet about it. I actually have in my notes here, it's a bad version of Nonstop. Really? <laughs> yeah. It is basically that. Nonstop is... I don't mind that movie. Non-stop, or unknown. Them... Nonstop is him on a plane trying to find this hidden person. Yeah. The commuter is him on a train trying to find this, this unknown That's person. That's why it sounds appealing. Nonstop did it way better. Just go out and watch Nonstop again. Liam Neeson is looking very old. He's he's very rigid in this. I found the shocking twist at the end. I've noticed it for fucking ten minutes into the film. There was nothing really too crash hot about it. it I give it a, a very weak not recommend because I guess you can see if you like Nonstop and you like Unknown, you'd probably you could probably continue this into some sort of trilogy. I guess mm. you'd end on a sour note, but you might enjoy it. I just missed the mark for me. Uh, it's a pass. Okay, what else did you watch? So my number four film we're now on to recommend is 12 Strong. You know what, Krasinski! 12... No, 12 Strong is the true story of the, the the first 12 soldiers who went into Afghanistan after 9-11 to take down this... They basically went in there to dismantle the Taliban. And it stars Chris Hemsworth and Michael Shannon and uh, Michael Pena, Trevante Rhodes. Good cast. Yeah, it's a good cast. And it's... It's an interesting story. It's 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 done quite well. I feel like it got it gave me vibes of Only the Brave, but Only the Brave did it a lot better. Where Only the Brave spent a lot of time dealing with family life and getting to know these characters. 
12 Strong kind of did it as a tell, don't show. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they spend most of their time saying, like, yeah, my family at home, I'm going to do it. Like, I can't wait to get back to them. Whereas only the Brave, you see them with their family yep. and, you, and you you have these long scenes of them, in like, being with them and that's where you interact with the characters. <laughs> see, with 12 Strong, they're, they're, they're over there in, like, the first 15 minutes. So oh, you, you, okay. see, you get their yep. goodbyes and then they're over there. Yep. Um, I didn't know anything about what happens. Is it like, a true story? It's a true story. Okay. I didn't know what was the result of this. So it, that was interesting to see that uh, happen. It was definitely trying to display that not every not every Afghani is a terrorist. And so they were, they were being helped by certain people along the way there who hate the Taliban. There was you know a very political message there. The action that they put in there was very... I wouldn't say warish, but it wasn't like cookie cutter action either. Uh, felt it felt very authentic, mm. which was good. And overall, it's just a it's a it's a fine film. It's a it's a good watch. Okay. So what's your? Oh wait, you still got only one. So we've got to wait for me to get to the end, don't we? Yeah, may as well. So my number three is the Born Legacy. I rewatched this earlier on in the week. Why? It was on Netflix. I was sitting down with the wife, and we we're like, "Well, oh, okay, this is on. I don't, I don't mind this. I think, I think I need. It. I've seen it once before. I thought, why not just check it out and see how it ties into the other ones? It's just so forgettable. Like I've seen it, and I couldn't think of anything about it. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to rewatch it. And it's actually, I didn't even realize that Oscar Isaac's in it. Is he? Yeah, he's the guy in the snow. Okay, no, no, no okay. seriously, I don't no, remember it, was, it at all. You'd expect most of the like. I love the, the Bourne trilogy. Jason Bourne can go fuck itself. It's it's horrible. Yeah, have you seen the Jason character? Bourne? Oh, okay. Let me rephrase that. The movie, the fourth movie, Jason Bourne, <laughs> no, I haven't is seen not that a good one. film. I haven't seen no. that. The trilogy is amazing. Yeah, I love the trilogy. So I was curious to see how this shaped up against it. It doesn't shape up that well against it, but it's still a worthy movie to check out. Jeremy Renner is really good in it. He plays that action star really well. Overall, it's just one of those. You know, you sit down and watch it. Not one, not one I'm going to tell everyone, oh, definitely go out and see more Legacy. Yeah, but if, you know, if it's on your Netflix and you see it come up, definitely, why not? Watch it. It's fine. So my number two film is a documentary I watched called The Director and the Jedi. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> the Director and the Jedi is essentially the making of The Last Jedi. But it's, I feel like it's a bit more to do with how Ryan Johnson tackled this monstrous film that he had to helm this humongous budgeted film and every issue along the way this doesn't handle anything after the aftermath of when it comes out this is directly related to him trying to direct this movie Mm. and there's a very big portion of it centered around mark hamill and his negativity towards how his character was getting handled and how he had to cope with you know the end result of this film and how he had to trust ryan johnson along the way it honestly it made me appreciate the film more i and i really want to go back and watch it for a second time now after having seen this because it is crazy how much effort went into this film the practical effects that they use i honestly half the film i watch i'm like cgi cgi Hmm. no a lot of that stuff is genuine puppets like jim henson's puppets they're all this it was crazy to watch the um, the emotion that these actors have when they're playing these characters they've played for years from Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill there's scenes where they're they're filming some of their scenes and they yell cut and they're actually breaking down crying in some of these scenes it's it really it really hits you it's a really good documentary a good making of I definitely know you'll enjoy it since you love the film it, it definitely made me want to go back and watch it with a more open eye maybe even like 
seeing it in a different light and giving it a, a better review, I think. Okay. Should have given me that to watch. No, no, you can do it. You're going to watch that anyway. All right. Shall we break the tension here? What's your number one film of the week? <laughs> All right. I'll get this out. Uh, my number one film of the week. Last week, uh, you gave me three films to watch. You gave me Fruitvale Station, Inherent Vice, and Grand Piano. So, I watched Fruitvale Station first. Wow, that's your, your favourite film of the week, is it? It is. Jeez, must be good. <laughs> is it good? Okay, so, first up, I've got to say this. This movie is based off a true story that took place in 2009 and was a massive news story at the time. The very first scene in this movie tells you exactly how this film is going to end. So if you do not want to know anything about this movie, skip forward two minutes because I need to talk about the plot to discuss this movie at all. So this this is like, it could be a spoiler, but it's not? like. I mean, is knowing the Titanic sinks a spoiler to the movie Titanic? Okay, like, this is the sort of thing. And I, I don't I, think you can compare the Titanic. I knew I knew the ending before I started watching this movie, okay. and I was a little annoyed with myself that I knew the ending, but as soon as that first scene came up, I was just relieved that, okay, this is... I, 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 this, I also know the ending of this. This, isn't a, this isn't a shock um, thing. The whole... Yeah, you you're meant to know it from the jump. So, okay, so just in case, if you don't want, if you don't know about it, and you don't want to know about it, skip forward uh, like a, a two minutes. Yeah, skip forward two minutes. All right, here we go. Fruitvale Station is about a young African American man who is shot and killed by a police officer in the early hours of New Year's Day in two thousand and nine. Well, okay. I don't need to see it anymore. <laughs> So, the movie follows Oscar Grant's final day leading up to the incident. You really get to know him. You see the relationships he has with his family and his friends, and you see that it is not a perfect man. He is a flawed individual. Ryan Coogler's decision to show us the negatives, as well as the positives, only serve to make this person a three-dimensional man and care for him even deeper. Michael B. Jordan puts in a powerful performance as Oscar, capturing subtle nuances as well as nailing the intensity of the character. He's just genuinely a likeable guy. He cares about what we care about. So when the end gets nearer and nearer and we all know where it's going, the dread I felt as a viewer only heightens. This movie is tense and impactful. My only gripe with it is that the plot is very thin, and the movie does get slow in parts, but it's only a short movie and not overly indulgent at all. I highly recommend you see this movie. It's really, really good. Cool. All right. So, how would you rank the Kugler films then? I would say Creed is easily the best, Black Panther's next, and Fruitvale okay. Station's the worst. I mean, but Black Panther, you know, it's part of the Marvel thing. It's so enjoyable. There's a few things wrong with it, but yeah, I, Fruitvale Station's a really good film. What about Michael B. Jordan performances? Is that a better one to say? Yep. Michael B. Jordan performances, I would say Creed, Fruitvale Station, and Black Panther. Okay. All right, fair enough. No, okay, fair enough. I'll definitely check that one out. Uh, before we get to my number one, I did actually watch another film this week, but it is in the top 250, so I'll just keep uh, my viewpoints to that specific podcast. But let's just say, was I entertained? Yeah, I was entertained. Okay, so we'll just leave was, it at that. Was it a Robbie Williams documentary? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, moving into my number one, it is not a recent film. It's a movie I rewatched uh, that was from a couple, well, over ten years ago now, and that is Knocked Up. Man, my balls are shaved, my pubes are trimmed. I'm ready to fucking rock this shit. 
What the fuck, man? If I go in there and see fucking pubes sprinkled on the toilet seat, I'm gonna fucking lose my mind. Last time I went to the bathroom, Jay, I took a shit and my shit looked like a fucking stuffed animal. You're embarrassing me in company. You embarrass yourself. Oh, great. I hope you have a great evening. Knocked Up is fucking hilarious. Seeing Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill and all them when they basically starting out. Well, maybe not Seth Rogen. He was in Freaks and Geeks. Still. But this is their, this is their, this is obviously his breakout role. Yeah. yeah. This was massive. It is still hilarious. Their banter, their chemistry is so good. Catherine Heigl, I mean, I fucking hate Catherine Heigl. And she really is the, the drag of the film, especially after hearing, you know, the negativity she brought down on the guys in the film afterwards, after she got paid and all that sort of shit. It's, it's still hilarious. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see like this, this schlub of a guy who has to start taking care of his life. He's got a baby coming along. He needs to shape up. And overall, I was still having fits of laughter throughout this film. There's all the characters in it. They're all unique and they're so funny. Jason Segel, Jay Burchill, even like the Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd duo there of the, the bickering couple is, is still interesting to see. I, I never saw This Is 40 and I don't really plan to, but overall, Knocked Up still holds up. 11 years later, it's still hilarious. That's all I can say. I mean, I'm sure everyone, well, most people have seen Knocked Up. You know if it's good or not, I'd say it's, it's a fantastic, funny film. Yeah, it's it's so funny. Yeah. Like it's it's one of those classic comedies from that era, you know, along with Forty Year Old Virgin yeah. and that sort of thing. Like all, it's the, just, all the early Judd Apatow films. Yeah, they are standouts before he got super serious. Yeah. In like funny people. Funny people I didn't like. I think that was when I it started to drop for me with Judd mm. Apatow. Mm. But yeah, knocked up, funny as fuck. Yeah, it is. And that's gonna do it for the podcast. We'll uh pop the Twitter polls up over the week just to vote for your favourite Coen Brothers films. Dean, do you have any specific movies you're going to be watching this week besides Fifty Shades Darker, Fifty Shades Freed, Inherent Vice, and Grand Piano? Are you going to watch any others? And besides, also besides No Country for Old Men, you got a week on you. have got to start you. watching movies. I don't even think I have to ask you now. I know what you're watching no, this week. I, I don't think I'll watch anything else. I did start watching Inherent Vice. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'm hoping to get out and see... I'm definitely going to go out and see Ready Player One this week. I need to catch up on that. If it's still on, I might try and get out and see Tomb Raider. Whatever. I'm interested in seeing A Fantastic Woman. I've been, I've heard some good stuff about that over the last little bit, and I'll try and get to that. And I've also heard a couple of good things about this movie Small Town Crime. Hopefully I can get to watch that too. But, I mean, who knows? I do get to watch a lot of films, and maybe I might choose some other ones along the way. But that's maybe what you'll hear from me next week. So until then, have a great week, everyone, and we'll see, you'll hear us next week with, <laughs> with No Country for Old Men. Bye. Bye. Bye.